Hey, thanks so much for joining us for worship here at Trinity Online. It is a privilege and an honor to spend time in God's Word with you this weekend, and I'm grateful for the opportunity for that. We are in the second week of our series we're calling Letters for Exiles, and we're exploring First and Second Peter, of course, in the New Testament. And Pastor Nick last week kicked us off in the series with this idea of picking up our cross and following Jesus with that cross in a new life. And so we're going to be talking today specifically about Peter's words to a group of people who are separated by space and time and by culture, but are still a part of one great big family of those of us who are following Jesus. So I'd invite you to close your eyes and bow your head and just pray with me as we get started today. Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity to spend time in your word. And thank you for the word that has been preached and taught through Peter to this group of people who are separated from the culture of the origination of the Christian faith around Jerusalem, but for a purpose, to share the good news of Jesus with more people in different places. So as we not only take advice and encouragement from Peter's words uh, through this message today, may our hearts be set on fire as we follow you in a new way. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, we're actually going to dive into the scripture in First and Second Peter with this message. And as we do that, we're going to be asking ourselves a couple of questions. And one is, to whom is this letter written? And the other is, for what purpose is it written? Well, first of all, the people that the letter is written to are a group of people who don't come from the Jewish heritage that Jesus and his immediate disciples who would become apostles would have come from. These would be Gentiles or non-Jews who are living in five specific provinces that are governed and overseen and, in fact, were conquered by the Roman Empire. And so you're finding this letter written to people who don't have a Jewish context for their faith. They're coming into the faith new, but about 30 years after Jesus would have walked the earth. So they've had some experience following Jesus together but separate from that core place where the Jewish faith would have produced the first Christians, and that's in Jerusalem. So what you're going to find is a spot right around modern-day Turkey that would have included these five Roman provinces that Peter is writing to. And as such, he's writing to people who don't have this historical context, but who are following Jesus, separated from each other across the expanse of modern-day Turkey, and yet they have this one faith in common, following Jesus even as they're separated. Well, here's what the apostle Peter writes to them at the beginning of this letter. He says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, an apostle is a church planter, a ministry starter. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect or chosen, exiles scattered across the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, these five provinces around Turkey, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ. Now stop right there for a second. If you need some scripture to back up the idea of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you can always go right here to the first paragraph of the first letter from Peter. He mentions right off the bat, God the Father, who, according to his foreknowledge, we've been brought into this faith through a chosenness that happens through faith in Jesus Christ. And this is 
ignited by the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit so that we can learn to be obedient to Jesus Christ, to pick up that cross and to follow Christ into a brand new life. Now, what happened on the cross? Well, Jesus died there, right? But we don't stop there. Three days later, Jesus rose from the grave. So picking up the cross is a dying to oneself as we learn to obey Jesus and following Jesus into a brand new life. So when we talk about picking up our cross and following Jesus, we're talking about accessing a brand new life following Jesus. Now it starts with the cross and allowing God to take that old life in us, that old sinful life that looks into itself for all of its answers and hopes and dreams, and instead allows those to die so that we can be reborn into a brand new life. This is the new life, my friend, that you have through faith in Jesus. The scripture says that you and I are sprinkled with his blood, meaning that the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross covers us in a covenantal way. There's an agreement between God and his son Jesus as Jesus goes to the cross that that sacrifice covers you and me. And it refers to a sacrificial nature of the sprinkling of blood over the people of Israel. But remember, Peter is writing to non-Jews who would not have had that historical context. At any rate, he's writing them to them in such a way and speaking to them in such a way that includes them in the promises that they would have received, that faith in the Messiah, in Jesus, is salvation and is a brand new life. Peter concludes his introduction by giving them a blessing, grace and peace, grace, which would have been to the Gentiles, peace, shalom, which would have been to the Jews, grace and peace be yours in abundance. In other words, Peter is offering this letter to all who will hear it, to those who are in these provinces spread around and scattered around who have this one faith in common, but who need encouragement. Now, why do they need encouragement? At this time in history, around 60 AD, as we read and as we study, Christians were being persecuted. And we're not talking about just the famous persecutions of the Emperor Nero, which would be happening in the next 10 years or so after this letter came out. And maybe you remember from history, Nero would literally douse Christians in oil and light their bodies on fire to light his gardens. He would have them devoured by lions for entertainment in the Colosseum. He was really cruel, and those persecutions were famous and last, you know, in infamy to this day. But what was happening to these people is that they were being persecuted in their average everyday lives. The fact that they were following a God who died on a cross and then disappeared from the public's eye, went into heaven, sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, as we say in the creed. But from the perspective of the public, it seems foolish back then. You know, perhaps to this culture, it continues to seem foolish to follow Jesus. Yet we follow him because he is real and he is risen and he sits there at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. And one day he will return to judge the living and the dead. You and I can look forward to that day. We have the encouragement of the scriptures and this same encouragement would have been rendered to those elect exiles. Now, this seems kind of paradoxical if you think about it, that these people that Peter was writing to are called both elect or chosen and exiles separated. How can you be chosen by God 
and separated at the same time. You know, it's a paradoxical reality of what it's like to be a follower of Jesus. There's a tension that's held in balance between those two ideas. Now think about it this way. Maybe remember the days of middle school and high school when you went to PE class and you played dodgeball. Do you remember that experience? I certainly do. Here's how that typically worked. You'd have two really strong, fast, athletic kids who'd be chosen by the gym teacher to be the, the what? The captains, right? And then the two of them would square off at opposite ends of the gym. And then the whole gym class would be picked off one by one as the captains chose their team. But inevitably, it gets down to the end of the process where there's one kid left who neither captain wants to choose. Why? Because all the biggest, strongest, and most athletic kids have already been chosen. And the reason is because the object of the game is to take a ball, throw it at your opponent, hit your opponent, and knock your opponent out of the game. So if you've got that one little kid who's not very athletic, who would have a difficult time playing dodgeball well, and you're a big, strong captain of the team, you're going to wait until the very last second, and there's no other choice but to pick that kid. You know, that's kind of what it would have been like to be a follower of Jesus in that culture, out in those Roman provinces, separated from Jewish culture and the Jewish faith, out there on your own with a faith shared with others who are also separated. In that day and time, you would have needed a reminder that being chosen is a beautiful, amazing, powerful thing in the eyes of your God and that you are the one who is chosen. Now, you and I, we are chosen through Jesus. We're chosen through faith in Jesus. Have you ever seen yourself in that light that God specifically chose you to be in his family? You know, it's not like dodgeball and you're that weak, you know, one little kid that is left to the very end. It's kind of like dodgeball and you're being chosen first. But those exiles, maybe just like you and I feel sometimes, those exiles would have felt like that last kid chosen. And of course, the number one target is they were being persecuted and set apart from the cultures that they found themselves in. Look at what Peter says to them as he gets into the meat of his letter. He says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. See, this is where Christianity gets a little weird and a little uncomfortable because Christianity is about death and it's about life. You see, you either have a dead hope in front of your life, a hope that has no real hope to it, that has no coming to fruition, has no objective that can be achieved. You either have that dead hope governing your life or you have a living hope, meaning the living hope is alive and it's wrapped up in who? The person of Jesus. So you either have a dead hope governing your life, something that will end up going nowhere spiritually or physically or otherwise, or you have a living hope wrapped up in the person of Jesus. And this hope will never perish, spoil, or fade. The scripture goes on and says this inheritance of this, this thing that God has given you through faith in Jesus, 
is kept in heaven for you and who through faith you are shielded by God's power. Now look at this. Let's go back to dodgeball for a second. If you were that little kid, which, you know, at some point in time, we were probably all that little kid who was chosen last, you would go and find a bigger, stronger kid who could throw the ball better than you. And what would you do? Well, you wouldn't get in front of him. You wouldn't stand beside him. You would hide behind him, wouldn't you? Because not only would they block you if the ball was thrown at you, but the way they would move around the court, you could copy that, mimic it, and keep yourself from being hit. And all the while, having them use their strength to throw the ball at the other team. This is kind of like what the scripture's talking about, being shielded by God's power through the person of Jesus. And as we're shielded by God's power, we are shielded until, the scripture says, the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. See, my friend, this is a living hope that we've been called into. This is a game of dodgeball where we've got a big, strong kid in front of us, shielding us from the onslaught of life, the difficult times we find ourselves in, in life that tear down our souls from the inside. We are shielded by those situations and circumstances, by that big, strong kid named Jesus. We are shielded through faith in him. And as such, when he returns again on the clouds, God has a purpose for keeping us shielded from the difficulties of life, tearing down our faith. Now, notice I didn't say we were shielded by the circumstances of life in and of themselves. We will experience them. The loss of a job, the loss of our hair, the loss of our friends, the loss of a place that we love, the loss of our possessions, the loss of something sometimes leads us to give up hope. And that is a temptation to trust in things that are a dead hope. But we have a living hope. And that living hope is wrapped up in the person of who? It is wrapped up in the person of Jesus. Now, here's kind of what it might be like. Maybe you remember from the book of Daniel, the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. What happened to them? Well, they were followers of God. They trusted in God, and they were held captive in an empire that you know, had a, a leader, had a, an emperor who wanted to be worshiped as God. And so when these three men decided they were not going to uh, worship the same God as uh, the culture demanded, uh, that emperor decided to throw them into a fiery furnace. And if you remember the story from your childhood or for reading the scriptures yourself, you'll remember that they were thrown into the furnace, but they didn't burn up. And in fact, those who were standing around watching this whole episode would have seen a fourth person in the fire with them. And that's exactly what happens when we are shielded by God's power. We find ourselves in the fire of life and there's someone in there with us shielding us from the effects of that situation on our souls, on the very persons that we are. Jesus is in that fire with those three men in the same way that he's in the fire with us. And he's standing in front of us on the dodgeball court of life, providing a shield and doing our battles for us. There's a relationship between us that persists and 
outlasts the circumstances of life because it's based on the power of Jesus working for us and going before us in average everyday life. Look at what Peter says. He says this in verse six. He says, in all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a time, while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials, these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, there again is a reference to that fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. So instead of our faith spoiling, perishing, fading, our faith is functional to praise, glory, and honor when Christ is revealed at his second coming. And do you see the connection? Your faith and mine, they are refined by fire. The impurities of them are born out of our hearts, are brought out of our hearts as God leads us through the difficulties, the persecutions, the circumstances that come against us in life, where we have the opportunity to trust him all the more to lead us through the fire, not around it, not even out of it, but just plain through it. This idea of the genuineness of our faith is so critical, it's so important. My friend, think about it this way. Is any aspect of your faith in God fake? Is any of it pretended? Is any of it putting on a show? Is any of it trying by your power, strength, and might to do something in the sight of God that you really can't do? Now, all of us have been there, but honestly, the words that God has given through Peter to these people apply to you and me as well. There are aspects of our faith life that are just plain bogus. They're fake. Sometimes when we're given the opportunity to give generously, we walk away. Sometimes we're given the opportunity to serve someone who needs help and we ignore it. Sometimes we're given the opportunity to share the good news of Jesus with another person whose soul is under attack. And instead, we turn away to whatever, whatever is on our schedule next, and we all do it. God would take those parts of us and allow life to burn them away so that our faith is real and genuine and made complete in Jesus Christ. That is why we talk about looking, living, and loving more like Jesus, but God is the one who does that work in you. Remember, you are chosen, and no matter how separated you feel, no matter how insignificant you feel, no matter how disconnected you feel from God, God comes back to you in this moment and says, you are mine, I've chosen you for a great and powerful purpose that is eternal. You know, this is something Peter struggled with even as this great author of this letter, you know, working along with his friend Silas, who actually wrote it down, we know that Peter was the impetuous one. We know he was the one who jumped out of the boat and started walking toward Jesus and then realized he was walking on water and looked down and started to lose his faith. We know he's the one that in the garden was, drew his sword and lopped off somebody's ear. We know the one who took Jesus to task about Christ's own plan himself. and said, no, this will never be. And then Jesus had to reel back and say, Satan, 
get behind me, get out of my friend, and let me accomplish my story in him. Peter was that one who would have known these words. This is from Deuteronomy. The idea, you have been set apart as holy, the Lord your, by the Lord your God and to him, for he has chosen you from the nations of the earth to be his own special treasure. Jesus would have taken that mentality of Peter and expanded and opened it up to include not only the Jews, his own people, but also the Gentiles, all people for whom Jesus died, the Jews and the Gentiles, the rich and the poor, the big and the small, the desirable and the undesirable, those in the limelight and the marginal. All of these people, including you and me, Jesus died for and rose for and leads us into a brand new life by his power and his might. Peter would have seen this change in his heart through a vision that God gave him of a sheet lowering from heaven with animals on it, where Peter would have said, some of those are clean and some are ceremonially unclean. Peter was tempted to think about people the same way. But Jesus said, no, all people are the same. Look at the scripture. But now this is what the Lord says. He who, cre who, he who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will what? You will not be burned. And it doesn't say if you walk through the fire, does it? It says when. When you walk through the fire, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you will not be burned. You will walk through that fire for a reason. And it says the flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. See, this is it, my friend. The idea that your heart inside you needs the fire of life to approach it and to change it. It will never fail or be compromised in regards to your faith because of Christ at work in you. But all of our hearts need to be refined by this fire. And we will be knowing that God goes before us and shields us from the spiritual effects of the fire. Even if in our bodies in this temporal frame, are feeling those effects in a very real way. So my hope today, my prayer in the Holy Spirit, is that you are encouraged, no matter where your life lands on the spectrum of comfort and discomfort, of fire and ice, of purpose and purposelessness, God finds you where you are and leads you through the fires of life in order to bring a heart that follows is characterized by his heart and purpose and plan. So be encouraged. You are chosen. Even if you feel unchosen, you're still chosen through faith in Jesus. And God has a plan for your heart to become like his. And this is such great news. So lean in and let God lead you through the fire along with those who also follow Jesus and call him Lord. Would you bow your head and pray with me? Heavenly Father, we receive this word today as a word of encouragement. 
no matter where my friend is and where my heart is on this day, I know that I am chosen by you for your purposes to share the actual character of God with people who have, as a culture, rejected him outright. There are people who are open to the things of God. And God, you have called them forward to receive your good news. Let that good news flow through me, flow through my friend here and those that he or she loves and cares about. And let people come to know you in a new way through the word that you've shared through the apostle Peter to the known world and to all future generations who will approach that word with an open heart. We pray all this in your name and trust you for all good things. In your name we pray and together we say, amen and amen.